Dumois and Taylor Swift's Bad Blood, Emma Chamberlain talks money, and has Ozempic reached peak fat phobia? I'm Maggie Zhao. And I'm Jasmine Wallace, and you're listening to Culture Club, where we chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung and Turrbal people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past and present. We'd also like to celebrate the rich history of First Nations culture and storytelling that we're continually learning from. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Yesterday, Maggie, you saw the one and only Rebecca Black and oh, yes. it was also on a Friday. What the hell? Oh my God, that's what we had to talk about. I'm so <laughs> desperate to tell you about it. Can you believe that I saw the Miss Rebecca Black uh, literally randomly in the heart of Melbourne CBD yesterday, like totally random? So and she was performing for like the always live like city of Melbourne promotion thing. So she's like in a glass box near the NGV, just like singing. <laughs> I so was like, random. let her out, let her out of the cage. Um, because it was the most random thing outside the art center. There was this like, like you said, a glass recording box thing kind of looked like a recording studio living room setup. And I was walking past yesterday morning and I was reading the sign of like the acts that are going to play. And then I saw, Rebecca Black's name and it literally said in brackets live but I didn't believe it I was like oh <laughs> is it a live stream was it a live recording I googled she's here in Melbourne because summer camp um, like which is a music festival is on at the moment and I was like oh my goodness I need to change my whole day I need to make sure I see her and I did and was she great she is so good okay her voice is incredible she played two acoustic songs no none of them were Friday um, but let her do her, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't blame her. It's 13 years ago that song was released, mm. which was 13 years old. And yeah, they just had like a long interview chat for almost an hour as well. And she's just amazing. I love her. And did she speak to Friday and like that phenomenon and what she's, what she wants to? career to be now yeah so one of my favorite (laughs) parts and oh my goodness she must be sick to death about speaking about it all but one thing she said about you know like comparing the way that Friday has essentially just like followed her along her entire career she was like imagine if people (laughs) when they met you um you were introduced by like holding up your middle school photo I mean like this is her this is what she used to look like you know just uh, just imagine like that's how people recognize you she also had some really sweet advice just um when asked about like you know what advice would you impart on some of like the young people here today I'm gonna play a little snippet it's just a little one but she's so she's wise and she's so sweet it's like if there was one thing that I wish I would have done so much earlier on, but I had no idea how to do it because I had no one telling me how to do it. It's like, I wish I would have just like had so much more space for myself and so much more freedom because those years are so precious. There's a new, very hot Hollywood couple that has been kind of 
announced this week, I guess unofficially, and that is the singer Rosalia and hot chef Jeremy Allen White <laughs> from The Bear, also from Shameless. Um, what do you think of this? Oh, amazing. Like two mega it people of the moment. I just am so confused how they met. And like that's so naive of me, right? Because like obviously they're two A-list celebrities, but I'm like <laughs> – how did you guys start talking? What do you talk about? Yeah, same. I wouldn't have put it on my bingo card. I don't know why. Like, yeah, I guess when you just think like sometimes musicians and like actors like that run in different circles, I guess. But a photo was released, paparazzi photo of them like smoking in a car park and his feet are in between her oh, feet yeah. as, <gasps> as they're both leaning against cars. And it's giving like hospitality crush. <laughs> Which if you've ever worked in hospital, you will know what I mean. Falling for the line chef in the back as a waitress. <laughs> right before we jumped on record, I posted to our Instagram story that photo and it was accompanied with this tweet. I'm reading it out. He's a line cook at Cookout who's cheated on her a few times and she works at an altar that's closing soon from retail theft. Their love is so beautiful. <laughs> Obviously, that's very American, but we get the gist. Like, I, <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> it was also Black Friday last week. Did you end up buying anything? I feel like I was so good. I, you know, because there were all the sales in the days leading up to it as well, which I feel like is a new phenomenon. Mm. But yeah, I did end up buying stuff. I bought a Kobo e-reader that oh, yay. I need for my, well, I don't need it. I want it for my um, trip overseas. And I only got like $30 off that so from JB Hi-Fi. So it wasn't the biggest Black Friday sale. I also bought some boots, which I spoke about on my TikTok um some blue pinstripe shorts like the kind of pajama look shorts mm. that are in fashion right now mm. and a Ralph Lauren polo cap oh my goodness so I actually did buy quite a bit like and that was all on the Saturday post Black Friday so it was kind of like I do think that I was like duped by the um those countdowns that every website had that yeah. were like one day left of the sale and so then I started browsing also because I think I might have been bored on Saturday so I think yeah lots of psychology in play which I even if you know about it and even if you kind of work in it I think you can still be it's because they play on like advertisers play on our human psychology Mm. so yeah did you buy anything I bought one thing as in no more than one thing but from one place mm-hmm. so booty who I really like they're like an Australian underwear and like loungewear brand mm. um I saw that friend of the pod Lucy Nelville she did like a sponsored bit with them about their sale and it was it was a pretty good sale right and I you know love and wear their their items But I definitely felt that Black Friday pressure to like, oh, let me buy Mm. like a bundle of stuff before the sale ends. And even though it's like, oh, it's like an essential, I needed socks and underwear. Yeah. Um, But like also like did I need that like bra that I also got with it as well. Um, It's hard. I am happy that that's all I got. I feel like every year I end up buying like nothing or like, something like this like last year I think mm. I bought something from I did buy something sorry from Nico underwear um which is an Australian underwear brand 
that's a theme. <laughs> well, that's how do you sales to your advantage, I think, is when you're like strategic with it and you're buying things you know you need or you will need for the year. Um, mine were more like things I want that had a good sale. Like I got $100 off the boots and mm. I plan on wearing them overseas. And then like the cap had been on my wish list for probably four months. So, yeah, it was – and I think it was like $50 off. So, you know, it's kind of like – I think that was a pretty good – deal it wasn't too much impulse shopping I'd say the only impulse were these blue shorts yeah I wish I almost did that wish list thing because I felt like the guilt that I felt I mean it was very minimal guilt but I was like oh like I wasn't intending to buy all this stuff Mm. um and it's like oh I do wish I had had more time and thought put into it but at the end of the day I know it's stuff I'm going to like wear and love so yeah yeah I also think that the past year I've been trying to make like a Christmas savings for like presents for people like a little yeah. savings account that I put money into each month which I hadn't done previously and then so for this Black Friday I was like you know what next year I think I'm going to do the same and have like a Black Friday say like a savings just so that when I get to Black Friday it's not like oh my god like I need this and I need this and I want this it's kind of oh, like take money out of my savings it's like yeah you know it's coming up and you can like be more strategic and like buy things that you're going to need for like the next year that's when it's good but I do feel like capitalism is kind of on steroids late stage capitalism I guess but don't you think that this year Christmas and Black Friday feels like a little bit more desperate or something like everyone is talking about it obviously ourselves included now um Christmas is always very materialistic and has been for our whole lives but like Mm. I just feel I don't know whether it's TikTok creating more creators and influencers who are then creating their own personalized gift guides for their audiences so then you see like a hundred times more gift guides because like every creator whether they have like 3,000 or 30,000 followers is creating their own one Plus, then you have all like the publications, like the ones that we work for and stuff, making mm. gift guides. Have you noticed that as well, or is it just me? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you like pitched this and like brought this idea up, I had to like think for a good minute because I was like, mm, I feel like I haven't. The uh, but the main thing that definitely has ramped up this year is like this influx of gift guides. Mm. Um, so I completely agree on that end. Um. I've definitely been seeing a lot more, but there's something to it where I think it comes with like pros and cons of like, yeah, gifting and spending is front of mind. But then I think it also encourages like more like thoughtful presence or like you're putting mm. more effort into these like gifts for people. But I definitely have been seeing a lot more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I also do think the gift guides can be good for small businesses. Like I know that you're, the one you did for Fashion Journal had a lot of like mm. local small businesses, right? So mm. that's really good versus just seeing the Maya Christmas windows and only shopping for <laughs> Jones or something, you know? So, yeah, you're right. There are pros and cons to it as well. And then also personally, just like obviously money is tighter for like everybody this year. So, uh, for instance, in my family, I've got like two siblings and two cousins here in Australia. And we usually give like pretty in-depth, really thoughtful gifts to each other, I would say. And it's always like a nice thing. But this year we're scrapping that and we're doing like a $20 KK with each other. So um, still fun, still exciting, but it's like, no, we're all feeling the pinch. Like, Mm. let's roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. Our family actually did the same. I will not be with my immediate family at Christmas. I'll be with my partners. But like in the lead up 
we've all like my parents and my auntie and stuff we've been saying like every year we say oh we spend too much money on presents or like we go overboard we've set like we were like should we do secret santa and then my family's like no because i want to get like everyone something so i think that we're just trying to like tone it down a little bit i'm very lucky that i'm going away so i can like buy souvenirs <laughs> and be like this is from yes. paris <laughs> it was five <laughs> euro but like it's from paris so it's so exciting <laughs> yes. I also think some of the gift guides got me thinking and also questioning whether I'm a bad friend because so many, including the FJ one, so many of them are like, here's a gift guide for your cool friend or here's Mm. like something for your friend who loves art or whatever. Like they're all really niche and specific, which is good when you're trying to share different brands. But like I only buy my family Christmas presents. Oh, yeah. I don't buy my friends presents. Like, so I wouldn't buy oh, my cool friend yeah. a Christmas present. So I'm, I, <laughs> and I'm just looking at it being like, okay, I just want that for me. <laughs> yes, that that is true. Um, no, definitely. Who buys friends Christmas presents? I don't know. Who's got that sort of cash lying around and hit us up and we'll be your friends. Yeah, like $50 on a vase or something for your, <laughs> like, colleague. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I know it's all just, like, marketing and whatever. But I was also thinking about how Black Friday is a very American thing and it feels like in the last, honestly, five to ten years, I don't know if it's because I'm becoming like I'm getting older, so therefore I'm becoming more of a consumer. I have more disposable income as I get different jobs or whatever. I think the Australian, the Australianification of Black Friday and how we've adopted it so readily is fascinating. Would you agree? Yeah, and I was talking about it with my friends on the weekend, and we were like discussing why it's even called Black Friday. And I mean, I never paid it too much thought. I was just like, it was just a thing that it was. But yeah. did you know why it's called it that? I did not. Even when it was explained, I was still like, oh, I don't really get it. But it's essentially <laughs> like about a boost in sales that takes, um. like a brand from red to black in terms of profit like from Mm. loss to profit or or something like that still don't understand the colors but that's kind of what I saw well I read on Britannica that there's actually another more accurate explanation of the term that dates back to the 1960s okay and apparently this is when police officers in Philadelphia in the U.S. Um, they use the phrase Black Friday to describe the chaos that resulted when lots of people from the suburbs came into the city to start their holiday shopping um, and then also in some years attend a Army-Navy football game, so American. But then obviously the huge crowds created lots of trouble for police, like traffic, longer shifts, accidents um, and crime, like shoplifting and stuff. Um, is that not racist? It just sounds like racism, no? Um, <laughs> like police are sick of this. It's Black Friday in Philadelphia as well. <laughs> yeah, is it? Is it racist? Maybe. I wouldn't put it past them. Do they mean black? Yeah, I wouldn't put it past, especially police. But um, I guess Black Friday, like like it's a dark time. It's like, oh, it's going to be a, ba- a bad day, yeah. Black Friday. Mm. But then, like, within a few years from then, you had to take root. But then, m- like, retailers tried to call it Big Friday. So maybe they were like, mm, this is, like, a bit bad connotations. Called Big Friday. Anyway, that is also a theory. But at the end of the day, it's a very new phenomenon. Like, 1960s, 1980s, these references are 
from. So, and then like what we know of it today is so new, but I did see a few funny kind of problematic tweets that were like brands like saying Black Friday sale and it's like $10 off. Back in my day, like people were hit over the head <laughs> with a microwave yeah. in the store. Like we used to be a country. We was, oh I do remember God, when I, I was in that. school, like seeing you'd see the videos from America of like mm. them rushing the stores. And I think because of like the prolification of online shopping, it's become much more like an online, like 20% off thing. But yeah, some funny TikToks and tweets did come out of that. <laughs> I can't believe we all had the same educational experience. Why was that also part of my upbringing at school, watching those videos? (laughs) Internet bestie Emma Chamberlain cannot catch a break. A snippet of an interview she did recently has gone pretty viral, maybe for the wrong reasons. We are, of course, speaking about the snippet that talks about her not knowing how much money she has and the fact that she hasn't checked her bank account in a few years. Let's play the clip that's going around at the moment. Well, can I tell you something that's insane? I actually think that some people are going to tell me that this is very irresponsible because people could be stealing from me. I have an infrastructure in place in my life with a lot of checks and balances that allows me to never check my bank account. I have no idea how much money I have. I know what I can do and what I can't do, but I have no idea. And I have not looked in years. I have no idea. Wow. That's pretty wild. Yeah. That's, that's, that's wild. It's, I mean, technically, literally I could be being stolen from, no, nobody, no, it's not that because there's literally layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of checks and balances, people in my family that are not like my mom, also my business manager, but then like, there's so many people that there's so many layers so that I never have to look because I, number one, I don't need anything beyond what I have now. Like I have a a house, I have a car, I can travel freely. That's enough. I don't need to go buy a yacht and a private jet and a, um, and a helicopter. And I don't need to only own designer clothing. My house is my splurge. That is Mm -hmm. the splurge of my life. Like that is, that's it. So this was said in an almost three hour video on Colin and Samir, which is an account where YouTube creators and podcasters break down the latest news in the creator economy from a creator's perspective. I found this really interesting as well, because it's very much like a business, business, business podcast. And there's such a trend with like internet creators going on podcasts like these to almost gain legitimacy. Like I think Mm. of Molly May on I think she was on what's that finance CEO diary guy one yeah and like and this anyway that that's a side Mm -hmm. note Mm -hmm. yeah I agree the funny thing was it took us so long to find (laughs) where this bloody clip was from I was getting so many TikToks of different snippets and even in the comments I couldn't see where it was from there were no hashtags no watermarks so Colin and Samir I think you need to put a watermark on your video (laughs) because we were like deep diving trying Mm -hmm. to find what this um platform and like video where it was from you have eventually found it on reddit which is so crazy because to me that's like the rabbit hole of the internet is reddit god i know and there was like no articles about this yet or anything really like written about this snippet but yes thankfully the reddit gods pulled through 
as we mentioned, it was a three hour episode. So I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing, but I listened to like the 30 minute segment where they talked about money, right? So I'm always curious about what is said around the viral, like the viral mm. clip. Like, you know, is this pulled out of context or isn't it? Um, okay. Before we get into that, what were your thoughts about the video when you saw it? The fact that she doesn't check her bank account. I, she does just, as we heard, she does justify it. So like, Mm. it makes sense if you had that many like people around you, like managers, accountants, um, she mentions her parents and things like that. I wasn't like that shocked or being like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. She's so out of touch. I was just kind of like, yeah, makes sense. Like if you have people to do that for you, that is, it's an, it's a life admin chore right and we know Mm. that rich people are able to they have more time in the day because those like little admin tasks whether it's like cooking or cleaning or checking a bank account are done by other people um so yeah it wasn't a surprise to me and it's like what do we expect from rich people and famous people like don't we want them to just own up to their lifestyle in a like in a flip of this um i posted a tiktok about that i love my little life or whatever that TikTok song about being like, oh, isn't it kind of ironic that a lot of people using this clip to show off their little life, but in fact, it's not a little life at all. It's like, you know, funded by big bank accounts. Yeah. Um, it's like, don't we want Emma to kind of be real with us? I would absolutely cringe if she was on the mic talking about, oh my God, coffee is so expensive these days. Exactly. Like, you know? Exactly. Being like, I check my bank account like every few hours because like it's so hard. Like, you know, people would be like, what the hell? Yeah. And so around the podcast, she was also talking about her relationship with money and growing and like how she grew up. She has talked about this on like YouTube and other platforms before as well. So they talked about, I guess, the difference of, you know, Emma grew up the child of an artist and a single mom. She grew up around wealthy kids and she talked very openly about being like, she was really jealous as a child because of that, right? Like she saw herself as less because um, her family didn't make as much money as other families in her area. She grew up in the Silicon Valley, like a lot of the kids' parents worked in tech. But um, she did acknowledge now like her, she had so much privilege in hindsight. You know, she had everything that she needed, food, roof, essentials, clothes in her wardrobe. But she like very, I think this is so true. And she just pointed out when you're a kid, you can't really factor that all in. You're just led by your emotions. So I. 100%. Yeah. Refinery29 actually does a series called Money Diaries where people anonymously write in they share their money story of like how much they earn, how much like if they own house, whatever, and then they chart like a week in their life how much they spend. And um, I was speaking with the editor of it one day and she was saying that most people, um, no matter where they sit on like the wealth spectrum, they always tend to think they had less than they did as children. So I do think, and also we know that, your feelings, your emotions, and your psychology around money is pretty cemented by the time you're seven years old, which mm. is so young. Um, but your like first initial thoughts and like what Emma's saying about scarcity with money and things like that, that comes from like witnessing certain things when you're a literal child. Um, so it must be trippy, I guess, to feel that way and then have so much money later on. Mm. So I think good on her for sharing that. Like I don't 
yeah, I think she's had a lot of slack lately <laughs> for things that aren't that deep. Well, this is why I find this tricky because I do understand why people are peeved about this, like the economic climate we're in and everything. But And it's just so hard because she's gone on this podcast. This is maybe filmed months ago. It could have been filmed last week. We don't know. And we do I like what I expect from her is to speak openly and honestly about things like this in the way she has and yes it's not going to land perfectly it definitely hasn't but I just think I mean of course in a three-hour conversation this is a one-minute soundbite that has Mm. been pulled out you know and it's obviously a bit bit salacious or it's really um touched a lot of nerves on purpose and I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know how I feel about it. I know I cop- I cut her a lot of slack because I am a fan of her. <laughs> As is the case with the internet, I saw all the memes and like the tweets around this issue, but I have not dived in. This feels, <laughs> this is drama. I'm not across right now, so I need you to fill me in. So Dumois replied to an Instagram submission on their own site talking about Joe Owen and Taylor Swift, their relationship, um, whether they got back together and broke up, etc. Mm-hmm. And then Dumois herself says, Taylor did have a ceremony in either 2020 or 2021 in the UK, and it was described to me as a marriage by more than one person. It was never made legal. I will die on this hill. Put it on my tombstone. I have no reason to lie. I could give a shit what she does. I'm sorry she didn't tell you guys about it in a song, but just because she doesn't sing about something doesn't mean it didn't happen with like 100 exclamation marks. Now, Tree Payne is Taylor Swift's publicist. She logs on to X slash Twitter (laughs) and claps back at this gossip site and she says, enough is enough with these fabricated lies about Taylor from Dumois. There was never a marriage or ceremony of any kind. This is an insane thing to post. It's time for you to be held accountable for the pain and trauma you cause with posts like these. Dumois then responds back to the publicist going, well, I make zero dollars from lying. Can publicists say the same? my God. Also, to relate something that is in reference to something that happened years ago to pain and trauma after what just happened seems like a poor choice of words. Either way, I apologize to Taylor. Mm. So that is the tea. And it's kind of big because the last time that Tree Payne made a statement of any kind relating to Taylor was in March of 2020. So this is pretty rare for her as a publicist to do. The last time was when the full video of Taylor and Kanye's exchange around the song Famous leaked and that reignited the famous Swift West Kim Kardashian feud that was like years prior. Oh my God. I'm getting it now. Uh, That is so messy. Messy. I don't. Okay, so the way I'm processing this is like I can't decide whether they had a ceremony or not. I'm leaning towards no. Mm. especially because Dumas was like, I apologize to Taylor. My other thing though, that is just so, I don't know if this is so blown up, but when Tree Plane is like, you know, it's time for you to be held accountable for the pain and trauma you cause. I'm like, what? That's such a blow up. (laughs) Is it not? Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine um, what it would be like to be as famous as Taylor Swift and have like your personal relationship like picked apart and, People like bullying your ex-boyfriend. 
So I can, I, but yeah, maybe trauma is, I do think one of my most cancelable takes is that I think we're using the <laughs> word trauma too much these days, like yeah, feeling a little bit uncomfortable in the workplace, I don't know, isn't trauma, <laughs> come on. Um, <laughs> I'm obsessed with the cuts social headline, which is look what do made tree do. Oh my God. So good. <laughs> oh, well, that is the latest update of this. I do think, oh, maybe putting on my PR hat, like what great timing for the publicist to jump on and talk about these rumors or have these rumors swirl at the release of Taylor's like new songs as well, specifically about her and Joe's relationship. I all. Yeah, I'm getting a bit of fatigue from all this back and forth around mm. Taylor sometimes. Also, as much as I am such a massive fan of her, it's a lot of new music to release in a short amount of time. And I wonder like how much good that does sometimes. Um, that's mm. a cancelable take. I'll <laughs> <laughs> say anything else. <laughs> This past week, M. Rada shared a photo shoot for French publication M Magazine, and there was one photo that really stood out to us that I DM'd you as soon as I saw mm -hmm. it and was like, what the fuck is this? At the time of recording, this post has been up for a week already and has remained unchanged. You know, no edit to the caption. The photo in question still exists as well. So... The photo is of Emrata standing in a pair of light blue jeans. She's in like a white simple top as well. And the main kind of crux of this piece that people are taking offense to is that the pair of pants she's wearing is double her waist size. So she fits into half of the pants um, and just holds open the mm. waistband and you can see like the negative space of like oh like you know there's so much <laughs> there's so much space in these pants yeah like both of her legs are in one mm -hmm. one trouser yes her yes. whole body fits in one side of the jeans and she's holding out the other side and that's just I don't I think maybe the point was like I always say to get people talking, like now we're talking about M Magazine, a French magazine on our podcast. Maybe it's the shock factor, but I think mm. it, with the climate that we're in at the moment with the Ozempic issue and like Finn being back in, in quotation marks, it feels very provocative. Yeah, I actually don't think it's anything as like mal, like intended like that. Like I don't think they would have thought that much about it mm. so yes M is copying so much slack but it's also like you know we should look at the publication the editor the photographer the stylist who are all accountable for this I think it's just they would have thought oh it's a cool image we love playing with silhouettes in fashion yeah. you know there's always especially in like editorial shoots people play on sizes and silhouettes mm. as well so I, I just think which is even worse right like I don't even think they would have battered an eyelid. I love this piece for Days by the writer Gina Tonic, who you should definitely all follow and read more of her work. She's amazing. She wrote an article titled, Emrata's latest photo shoot is a slap in the face for plus size people. And read a little bit out. 
the juxtaposition of the self-proclaimed feminist making a mockery of those who do have to wear the precise waist size of jeans she's feeling one leg of is to create an indirect but deliberate point. Thin is in, and M. Rata is worth double any fat person. She continues, It is especially discouraging to take this photo as a fat person when our community, notably, struggles to find clothing that fits our frame with the same ease as our thin peers do. By taking the piss out of what would just be another pair of jeans in a fatter person's hands, M. Rada and the team behind this image are doubling down on the privilege that a thinner person receives in fashion and in society as a whole. Emily can wear plus size jeans in a magazine and get paid for it while actual plus size people not only struggle to find jeans that fit them and that they like but struggle to pay for them due to sizest wage gaps not to mention the multitudes of other ways fat people are maligned in society. This is such a good point and I just think this message drives like doubly hard this year alone like I think of Paloma El Cesar covering um whatever like a magazine in that Mew Mew like mini skirt Mm. and how much of a moment that was and then it turns out that Mew Mew doesn't even stock that size and they don't even create that skirt they have to like get extra material and like make it for her just for this cover yeah so essentially like gaslighting consumers into being like oh they're inclusive and then you actually go to shop and then you're like oh my god I feel this. I'm a size 12 to 14 and I go into some stores now, like um, maybe more like boutique stores, Australian designers, things like that, and mm. I'll be – I can fit into the last size, like the biggest size. And I'm just standing there like I'm not plus size. Like yeah. I'm the average Australian woman and I'm like on the furthest end of the spectrum. Even some being like um, – I think I was buying something this week and it was like, oh, 12, 14, you're an extra large. I know that sizing is all like made up and like it always fluctuates, but like it just blows my mind, right? Because that is literally, there's stats that say 12, 14 is the average. I actually think it might yeah. even be 14 to 16 now is the average Australian mm-hmm. size. So yes, I I feel this a lot as well. I also read a piece this week in the Evening Standard uh, by Amy Francombe, which is titled How Azempic Killed Fashion's Appetite for Body Positivity. Yeah, so this was a really thrilling piece to read. Of course, Ozempic has been part of our um, fashion discussions in the past year. So p- for people who might not be across it, it's essentially a like medical treatment for type 2 diabetes. Um, Ozempic's active ingredient is called semaglutide and it lowers blood sugar levels and it also regulates insulin. One of the side effects of this is rapid weight loss. Um, and over the past year, especially, there's been a lot of celebrities and people in yeah the fashion and media space who have taken to taking Ozempic for the weight loss reasons. And yeah, this article was just published very recently and I think it really hit the nail on the head of like the, like, of how people really feel about this drug. Mm. So it starts off really strong with the journalists being at Paris Fashion Week and in their hotel mini fridge was a freebie of a Zempic. <sighs> and then it goes on. She talks to like creative directors, people um, like editors, fashion publicists and things like that. Um, also the people who are selling Ozempic, mm. they say that like orders are solicited through Instagram stories and DMs 
and you don't need a prescription. It's literally like an unregulated market at this point. Pens are going for like hundreds of pounds. So it's really, really worth a read. But we did both highlight this quote, which is where a luxury fashion brand consultant who is taking the drug says, I try to be body positive, but it's hard when people treat you so much better when you're skinnier. I think this quote is so important and so true. And even before when you were saying like, oh, in quotation marks, thin is in, I would be like, take out the quotation marks, girly, mm. because like societally, 1,010%, we know that like fat phobia exists and that thin privilege is so real and so like it is going nowhere. Everything from medical privilege, financial privilege, employment privilege, relation mm. privilege, ev- like every aspect of life is touched by the weight you are and the privilege or not privilege that comes with that yeah yeah I also have first-hand experience of when I was like 17 I um got like really addicted to the gym and was going like every single day at like 5 30 and I lost mm-hmm. heaps of weight probably like 10 kilos and I was not I was like probably a size 12 I went down to like a size 10 um and people treated me differently and that was even like yeah. as a teenager like so like I remember adults treating me differently um and then being in the media and fashion industry space is something that I feel a lot as well and I don't like so often I'm I'm like it's just in your head and like Mm. yeah like I am straight size and whatever you want to call it but when you're around people who are six to size six to ten and you're there at 12 to 14 like you feel bigger you mm. feel like sometimes everybody's a sexy baby and I'm the monster on the hill <laughs> you know what I mean um mm. and there's been like real experiences that I've told you about where I felt less than just because I have a like I'm a size g boobs and I have mm. curves mm. you know so I think it is really a worrying trend when like when the fashion industry turns and like how toxic it is. And I feel like we only just recovered kind of from um, like the thinness of the 2000s and like all that toxicity. And then we had like a period of a couple of years where it was like, no, like body diversity. Mm-hmm. And now it's flipping back and it's like, oh my God, we have to do this again. We really mm-hmm. have to do this again. We have to see like photo shoots of the, like Emrata and – try to not feel shit about ourselves, it's mm. really tiring. And that's yeah. as a tw- size 12 person. Like I can't imagine yeah. the fatigue of as if you were like a plus size person as well. Yeah. I mean, and then speaking from someone who does benefit from that privilege, it's like, no, you don't even notice it a lot of the time unless you're critically thinking about it because the world is built for you mm. in a sense of, okay, let's look at sample sizes or like uh, typically trends that – fit on these bodies and when and it's I find it like a really hard one because it's like okay how much impact does uh I guess representation have as well like how much of the the wider issues that fat people face like how much is that of that is going to be solved by seeing yourself more and obviously Mm. I can't speak on that and I, I I do think there are definitely benefits but it's such a big big issue and the fashion industry plays a big part in it for sure but then I just think about like the healthcare system and I think about like all the other big important issues here at play and I get like quite disheartened by it like it just almost feels like there's no way out 
Mm. Yeah, I agree. And also with Zimpic, we don't even know what the side effects are. It reminds me a lot of the conversation around vaping about 10 years ago. I remember when I was in London and everyone was like, um, yeah, literally 10 years ago, everyone was saying, oh my God, vaping, it's like the new big thing. There's no side effects. It's like smoking, but better. Like you get the nicotine without the smoke. Da, 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 da. And I remember thinking like, yeah. you're putting something artificial into your body. Sorry, going on a little tangent, but like, mm. of course there's no side effects because there's no studies on it. And here we are 10 years later, I'm doing so many campaigns at work about like from governments being like, we want to stop vaping. How do we get young people to quit vaping? Da, da, da. Um, so like, especially when you're playing around with your blood sugar and your insulin, mm. that's fucking dangerous. Like, why would you want to, I, I know why you would want to, we just said why you would <laughs> want to because of the whole systemic issue, but yeah. It freaks me out. Like you're putting a drug oh. into your body that like your body doesn't actually need, which is really scary. Every day it feels like we are closer to becoming the Hunger Games capital. Mm. I was at an event the other day looking around and I was like, gosh, this feels eerily familiar. Back to that evening standard article. I want to read out the ending. It's really strong. She writes, we've arrived at an interesting cross point. Instead of asking yourself, why am I at a dinner party and people are talking about these things, it appears people are going, well, I can just lose 10 pounds and then fit into society's norms and feel better, says Jeannie Annan Lewin, stylist and creative director of Perfect Magazine. This renowned enthrallment within seems to be part of a mass hysteria provoked by a so-called miracle drug that taps into our deepest insecurities. Ozempic feels like the ultimate test for fashion's commitment to an authentically inclusive future. Jeannie Anand Lewin was actually also quoted in a piece in Elle, which is titled Fashion, Ozempic and Me. And Jeannie is plus size and has polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I also suffer from. I also want to read out this quote from the L piece. But fashion's obsession with Ozempic is symptomatic of a much bigger issue when it comes to body positivity and diversity. We may have moved the needle slightly, but it's really only the same three models we see representing body diversity over and over again. I think before people wanted to hear about improving inclusivity and now they find it annoying and awkward because they think the problem has been fixed. But the issue is not going to go away if we won't have real conversations about it. We can't champion body positivity and inject ourselves with Ozempic behind closed doors. I think that goes to show like how much work needs to be done behind the scenes and exactly right. It's not just about like who's on the cover of a magazine or Mm. the photos we're seeing, but it's like the people running this goddamn thing. Like we know about the problems in media, PR, fashion and how like thin and white it is. And like, uh, yeah, I don't think real change is going to really happen until that that whole (laughs) side of things changes yeah and clearly like the fashion industry especially like in new york and london is so clicky and um basically nepotism full of rich kids that like of course they wouldn't want to change the status quo because like they are the status quo mags time for recommendations what have you been watching reading or listening to this week oh my god i don't even know if i've told the listeners that i'm like so into love island australia (laughs) (laughs) no 
Oh, well, that's not my recommendation for the week. <laughs> it is actually what I'm watching. Mm. 10 hours done, another 10 to go and climbing. Uh, God, it's a commitment. I must is say. it Love Island, Australia? Yeah, season five, like the latest one that's happening. I was like, people were raving about it to me and they're like, it's on par with the UK. Like it's really good this season. I've never watched any Love Island and I'm really enjoying it. Amazing. I watched the UK one a few years ago, but since then have fallen off the bandwagon. So if you've got to spare like 25 hours up your sleeve, yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> what I am recommending this week is a book that I'm listening to. So an audio book. It is Honey Bee by Craig Sylvie, an Australian like renowned author. We had this picked as our book club pick for the month and I am almost finished. I'm not finished. I'm doing a jazz, but I am, I would say like, <laughs> I've got a tenth left, like I'm very close mm-hmm. to finishing. So this book came out in September um, 2020 and it is essentially a story of a young teenager who's struggling with their identity, their gender identity, as well as so many different factors from like a tough home life to, you know, re- relatives that struggle with addiction uh, to mental health Um it's a big, and as you can kind of tell, it's a quite a heavy book um, and it is a coming-of-age story but not one that um, has an easy journey, I suppose. I'm really, really enjoying this book. Um, there's a lot of also like life-affirming and heartwarming moments. There's a really lovely like cast of characters that this person, Sam, gets to meet along the way. Um, yeah. And I guess a bigger story is just like a young person just grappling with themselves and like who they are in the world. Um, it's never explicitly mentioned or it isn't so far, but, um, like they're a trans person, like figuring it all out. The thing I did want to mention though, was that like Craig Sylvie, the author is not like he's from what I know, he's like a straight cis white man who doesn't have lived experience here. So I saw quite a bit of commentary around this when the book came out, which I think is so valid. And we talk about this quite a bit, like who gets to tell whose stories. Um, I read a bit about this from a few queer publications and, you know, Craig had discussions and like a lot of interviews with people from like this community that he's writing about um as someone who's not trans I can't say that it's like an accurate depiction or whatever but I do think he's dealt with it with a lot of care and thought but again like in an ideal world would get people from the community being able to write stories like this and being able to be put on platforms like Craig Sylvie is as well um but yeah I'm really really enjoying it also the audiobook is really great. The narrator, I'll get their name up. You know, my penchant for audiobook for narrator. I know. You don't want a bad narrator, right? Um, Harvey Zelensky is a transmasculine person and, like, they do such a good job with this. So mm. it's, like, really nice having an Aussie accent, but, like, yeah. a nice one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my recommendation. Amazing. Glowing review. Thank you for sharing. Of course. And it is time for your recommendation. What do you have? Mine's a bit left of field because the book I'm reading, I've recommended on two other different platforms. And (laughs) I've just been watching like Princess Diaries (laughs) last night. But a few weeks ago, I was very, very luckily um, invited to 
the premiere of Miss Saigon in Melbourne. And I'm recommending it because it was incredible theatre. I've only gone to theatre a couple of times in my life, but this is like the best I've ever seen. Um, my auntie who I went with says that this is like London West End equivalent, which is great wow. to hear because Australia can sometimes get the short end of the stick, I think. Mm. Um, so the story is quite old. It's Miss Saigon. It was written in like the 1980s. It's set in the Vietnam War. And it tells a story of Kim, who's a young Vietnamese orphan who then becomes a prostitute. She meets and falls in love with an American GI um, named Chris and they are separated by the war um, and then eventually reunited years later when both, when Chris has kind of moved on with his life. Try not to give too much away. It is a musical. It is mm. harrowing. The production is incredible, like so intricate. Um, the set design was amazing. It was like two, three hours of just like in awe. People were crying. Um, but then there's also some really light moments and like fun musical numbers to kind of, there's like a character who's a bit of comedic relief because it is like a very, um, a heavy story. It's on at Her Majesty's Theatre in Melbourne until the 16th of December. So you've got to get in the next two weeks if you want to see it. Um, but if you have the means, I'd really recommend it because we should all support live theatre more and it's a great story. So that's what I recommend. I reckon I'll be going to see this because you're not the only one. Like you had the most glowing review on your story. You said it was like, yeah, also said it's the best thing that you've seen. Um, I caught up with my friend who works in theatre and she's like a harsh critic, but she loved it. Mm. Said She like mirrored what you were saying. I was apprehensive because I have also read stuff about like the story, especially being quite problematic. You know, it's written by two white guys. There's a lot of apparently again I haven't seen it but like issues about like falling into racist stereotypes and tropes and stuff and then it's like really sad because um a point of praise for this particular production is that oh yeah like all the Asian characters are played by Asian people and I'm like wow the bar is on the ground yeah apparently like that's not (laughs) common that's not normal (laughs) for this or something Mm. But after hearing just, I guess, like the praise that is being like, that has come from this, I actually, I do want to go see it. So I actually might go by myself even in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Obviously, like the Vietnam War was problematic, right? So it's like, oh. like, I understand what you mean though about it being written by two white guys and especially written in the 80s. It's kind of like, um, yeah. um but I would be interested to hear what you think. Yeah, because my main thing is like, like, why are we choosing to platform it nowadays in 2023 mm. when there's like a plethora of other stories if it is, and again, like, I can't speak on like the problematic aspects. I haven't seen it. But like there are, su- there, are there are other things if we needed to. Yeah. But, mm. Well, I think that might be why my review was so glowing as well because I did go in being like, I like I got invited. So I was like, well, I'm going to go, like I got this opportunity, of mm. course I'll go. But I was like, I didn't know anything about the storyline. Um, all I knew was that it was set in the Vietnam War and I was a bit like, oh, God, like is it going to be like basically racist? Yeah. But I gave it a chance and I think because my expectations were low, 
um, watching like an old story. I was like, has this been done mm. before? Um, that it really exceeded my expectations. So that could be a reason why I was like, oh, it's so good. It's actually an interesting one. I was invited to it and like, you know, I love plays and musicals, but I was put off by like potentially being uncomfortable mm. um, that I didn't actually want to go, especially yeah. like opening nights and premieres can be quite like showy, peacocky yeah. and like, and like, and like white. <laughs> so I was, yeah. like, I was like, I actually don't know if I feel like feel comfortable watching this, but I get, like my mind has changed. So yeah, I do want to watch it. And you know, like I am white as well. So I don't know if I would have picked up on mm. that. Like obviously um, overt racism I can pick up on, but um, <laughs> maybe some of the lesser ones I might, I might've missed. So I don't, yeah, mm. I hope that you, enjoy it if you go see it and Mm. I totally understand the reservations that you would have as well um but that's good you've gotten two glowing reviews so fact checked (laughs) (laughs) two people I definitely trust for opinions on things like this so yeah thanks for that Chaz appreciate appreciate the the Rex and the combo today and thanks to the listeners for sticking around um we've loved having you listen to us this is actually maybe our last pop culture app for the year I mean it's ready it's ready December (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening and we'll chat next time whenever that may be yes see you bye-bye bye